0: Hello everyone, my name is Joshua Gilliland and I am one of the founding attorneys of The Legal Geeks. With me this evening is Thomas Harper and we're going to discuss faster the fourth episode of The Bad Batch season two. Thomas, how are you?
1: I'm excellent. I am uh, still riding high off what felt like a a return to Phantom Menace, like a, an animated Phantom Menace feel episode. I'm couple weeks out from a disney trip with the girls uh like my fam- my daughters and my my wife and her family and yeah it's good how about you i,
0: I am well it's been a busy time so it's uh <laughs> so it's nice to have some star wars to be able to discuss so let's uh let's let's make like the title of this episode and you know be faster so <laughs> <laughs> all right so we we get into the world of gambling debts because sig is taken by a former friend uh, perhaps someone she had some level of relationship with and after losing a race and to collect the debt they don't give her time to pay up they just kidnap her enforcement of gambling debts is problematic because it's against public policy in California and Nevada for uh, gambling bets. Uh, they're they're unenforceable unef- in court. You can't take someone to court over a gambling debt. It's just not how it works. So this could cause some interesting self help situations where we see SIG taken away by by someone who is very upset with her so not saying that has ever happened in oh, vegas with someone left out in the desert but uh it, it creates a, an incentive for uh people to get creative because as public policy we don't want gambling debts enforced in court
1: yeah the the irony of those of that unenforceability i think is that it's Generated a need for that sort of creativity. And I, we don't know a lot about the, the planet here. So it's Safatoma, which I don't think we've seen. We definitely haven't seen it on screen. <clears throat> but it had sort of a Tatooine esque feel, like a little bit of lawlessness to it. There's probably a reason why this sort of land speeder racing is happening here. And so I don't think there are going to be any authorities to stand in the way of. Uh, Certainly, well, on Tatooine, you had the backstop of the Huts, and that sort of kept order to things. Um, They had their own creative ways of enforcing gambling debts. But it doesn't seem like the Empire is is really out in force anywhere on this planet. So I think you're going to see a lot of creativity there.
0: Yeah, none of which is good. So (laughs) it's it's just none of... (laughs) You you have laws in place to prohibit negative behavior that can cause other negative behavior, such as kidnapping someone. So again, uh, the motivation here is uh, subtext unexplained. You know, there's clearly a history with the two of them. Something intense happened. So because she she's not treated badly. It's not like she's thrown in a cell uh, but this is not conduct we want to encourage Yeah,
1: I do like as a backdrop we don't see Hunter or Wrecker this episode and it's said that they're off on a job hauling Nerf Nuggets and <laughs> I just like that they've gone from you know, raiding Dooku's castle to uh, hauling chicken nuggets <laughs> around the galaxy it's like <laughs>
0: Yeah, soon to be available at Bat Two. I (laughs) I think this is a good creative choice to have that strange chemistry of like we'll send Sig with Omega, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: uh, Tack and Wrecker, while Echo and Hunter are off doing something else. It's like okay, yeah, see combos we don't normally see. That's
1: I should say Hunter and Echo misspoke.
0: Yeah, it's easy to get uh, Echo and Tech confused. So, they all look
1: the same.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so the other gambling issue is Omega, who is a minor, makes a bet for double or nothing. Uh, you want to share your issues on the enforceability of that and legality of her even placing the bet?
1: Yeah, so we see... Um, after sort of the big the, the race that, um, that Sid sort of goes all in on believes that her droid Teo which, wonderfully voiced by Ben Schwartz I'm glad to see him back in action doing a Star Wars voice but he crashes uh, through some nefarious things that happen on the course and it looks like the, the jig is up for Sid but then Omega steps in and basically makes a, a pretty big gambit um, that, uh, you know, they'll pay double if, uh, if Malegi wins. Um, otherwise she's free. Otherwise Sid is free if they win. So, and you just see them sort of all go along with it. Um, Malegi goes along with it. And so it, it begs the question. We don't know exactly how old Omega is, but it's pretty clear that she's under 18. So in our world, there's a, a clear clear line uh, between that, that's set at 18 years old. we don't want as a matter of public policy kids out there gambling so whether it's sports gambling, whether it's online gambling in the casino, you've got to be 18 to be able to do it uh, by law and that's pretty universally found whether it's Las Vegas in the strip or your, your local casino if you have one of those or yeah, you know, some of these sports gambling sites, that sort of thing. And that really just stems off that public policy. Gambling can often be a slippery slope for, for folks that get into it. Kids aren't the best decision makers and, and you know, lack the benefit of sort of a fully developed brain and, and the reasoning that should go along with it theoretically. And, So Omega is smart and as sharp as she is, would be prohibited by law from entering this bet. Now, it doesn't stop them from taking it, but it it might affect the enforceability. But when you're trying to enforce an illegal contract on an unenforceable debt, um, I think we're back in the realm of creative solutions if it goes south.
0: Yeah, and we don't want those. There are times when a creative settlement can solve everyone's problem. This is not one of those times. The other factor that we get into is there's a lot of reckless driving here. Teo gets run over and dead. Now he's a droid, so we can discuss the meaning of life there. Uh, (laughs) And I do think that it's probably a good bet that the it was an intentional hit to to take him out of the race.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, let's in California we do have a reckless driving statute, and I'm bringing that up since I'm a California attorney. So, reckless driving under California laws when someone drives a vehicle upon a highway in a willful or wanton disregard for the safety of persons or property, and that's California Vehicle Code two three one zero three a. If someone who is driving recklessly is the proximate cause of bodily injury to another person, they can be imprisoned in county jail for at least 30 days, but not more than six months, and that's under California vehicle code 23104, subsection A. To prove the intent, the state must prove that the defendant intentionally did something with knowledge that injury to another was probable or acted with a wanton and reckless disregard for the safety of others and in a reckless disregard for the consequences of their action. So the driver gets out, shrugs and walks away. I'm going to go with we are beyond reckless and wanton at that point in time uh from you know what what's either just gross Incompetence to a mob hit to <laughs> with, with a vehicle, <laughs> and the fact that uh, you have uh, tech was nearby, Omega was nearby, record was nearby, like others could have been injured as well, besides you know, the the Teo regretting nothing for his life. <laughs> so, <laughs> the- uh, it's just just problematic. Any thoughts on this?
1: Yeah. So this this issue here, when I watched it, it it stirred up this case that's stuck with me since law school that I've never had a chance to to put into any use whatsoever. Um, but you know your your one L year, your first year of law school is filled with like a lot of kind of dusty old cases. Uh, you know, some that date back you know, more than hundred years that are not always interesting. But then came the case of Hackbart versus the Cincinnati Bengals. And the case and, and the issue that, that sort of spurred this thought is Teo and the other drivers in this race, uh, are they assuming a level of risk even for out-of-bounds type plays? Um, and so it, it, it seems, we don't know all the rules for this land speeder race, but it seems like you know, there's a certain amount of violence in it. Some of these speeders are equipped with shields and blasters and whatnot. So there's a little bit of flavor that we don't really have with pod, uh, pod racing. Hackbart, the Hackbart case, uh, interested me because it was a case about a play in an NFL game. So Hackbart is a, an, or was an NFL player, the whole, the whole crux of the case took place in this 1973 game between the, the Bengals and the Denver Broncos. Hackbart's on the field. There's a play uh, by the uh, the Broncos. Uh, the, the pass is intercepted in the end zone. Uh, Hackbart uh, throws a block as the uh, as his team now is suddenly on offense. And as the play is finishing, he's he's watching, taken a knee. The, the action has gone past him. Now, there's a, uh, another player, Broncos player, a guy named Charles Clark, who's like upset, frustrated, you know, just turned the ball over, real costly. And he comes up and uh, with his forearm just throws a pretty vicious blow into the back of Hackbart's head, it causes him to fall forward. There's no, uh, there's no flag that's thrown on the play, just f- for whatever reason. And Hackbart's actually pretty injured as a result of this. So we sues, uh, sues the bangles, uh, as a result of this saying that, Hey, this wasn't a football play. This was like a, an intentional battery. Um, you know, I, I didn't sign up for this when I signed up to play football and ultimately I, I'll spare you all the details of the case, but ultimately the suit got, uh, decided in, in favor of the bangles. And it's centered on this assumption of risk that, uh, as an NFL player, you, you are assuming, knowing a certain level of violence, and that includes violence that's, that's technically outside the bounds of you know, what's strictly called for in the rule book. Now, you know, does that mean you could bring a gun onto the field and shoot somebody in the course of a football game and have it covered? Probably not. There are probably some limits. But at least in this context, sort of extracurricular activities, like, they, uh, like announcers like to, to call it, uh, Hackbart's injury was within the scope of, of sort of a normal football game. And uh, I think that's significant for this, this land speeder race, because a, I, I do think all of the racers there knew and assumed the risk of a level of violence beyond just crashing. Teo ship is, has defensive and offensive capabilities. He's got shields. He can adjust the power. Uh, between his weapons and these shields. Clearly some of the other speeders, as we'll talk about in a second, have weaponry on it. That seems to be a core part of this race. It's like Mario Kart in Star Wars. We can uh, use different weapons along the way. So just getting shot, I think, is clearly within the bounds of the race. You clearly, Teo or anybody else, clearly would have assumed the risk there. And even for a, a shady move, uh, like the one that they pull on Teo uh, during the whole race or during the first race, when he gets uh, just crashed and defeated. I think even that is, it just called back to, to Hackbart that it wasn't so far out of the bounds of what's allowed in the race that it would be unlawful. So I think Teo, even if he were a real human being or considered him to be a human being, I think he's assumed the risk when he stepped into the cockpit of that racer and there'd be no recovery for Sid or, or him.
0: How about the audience member who gets shot at, oh. in, when when one of the racers is spinning out and firing into the crowd?
1: Was was that the first was that the first legal disclaimer we've heard in Star Wars?
0: It might be. <laughs> it might be because I was very taken aback with. Well, uh, they're either writing this for us now. They know that we're here and they're just <laughs> living, leaving us mints on the pillow and and sending us roses or uh, they're not. Uh, but that was one of the, I, th- I think you're right. I think it might be the first time that yeah. for any sport event reference the law. And it's like going to a basketball game and getting hit with a basketball in the nose, but, uh, yeah, they do take precautions. But people can go to, you know, a baseball game and you have to watch out so you don't get hit in the head with a pop fly.
1: And and some of those precautions I think add to the notice that you're you're put on. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, basketball games one thing I think, but you talk about professional baseball or professional hockey or racing even and you've got extensive netting and fencing and Legally, those are the type of things that that the law looks to to say, okay, were you aware of the sort of inherent danger in what you were doing? Were you aware? Could you comprehend that you were in a dangerous situation? And if you see that sort of safety device, it's reasonable for for somebody to expect that something it's there to block something that's dangerous, that could hurt you.
0: Yeah, I Went to baseball games as a child with my grandfather, and he always brought his mitt with him. I mean, like, I share that philosophy. <laughs> with, yeah. <laughs> be ready to catch. You also have to keep your eye on the ball. Uh, you know, granted, it can vary upon where you're sitting, but no one wants to get clocked in the head. That said, uh, he got this guy got shot <laughs> like, that's a very different uh, level like like, are there disclaimers at the Olympics you know yeah. like a javelin throw could go into the audience it's like I don't one that would be bad uh,
1: NBC you, wouldn't like that
0: they'd have to start adding three second delays you know? yeah
1: Yeah. I the, the other aspect of it the, the law for this sort of thing in terms of assumption of risk for an audience member, a spectator, varies from state to state. But New York's got a good example of, of one that's sort of uh, symbolic of uh, what a lot of states look like. And it talks about voluntary participants. So you've paid a ticket to be there, like that poor uh, Ithorian. I think it was an Ithorian that got shot. But that poor spectator um, there on Safatoma. So you're voluntarily... They're watching a sporting or recreational activity. If you've done that, then you consent to what are called commonly appreciated risks that are inherent and that arise out of the nature of the sport and generally flow from that sort of participation. So it's kind of subtly tailored in a way that that, that rule can shift depending on the sport. You know, getting shot by a gun is probably not an inherent risk or a normal risk in a baseball game. But if you go watch, uh, like a biathlon during the winter Olympics with rifle shooting, it, it may be. And so here we have a bunch of land speeders that are equipped with blasters, blasters that are intended to shoot other racers. It's, it's probably inherent that, that that's an aspect of the, the sport that could uh, you know hurt or kill you. Um, and so the other aspect of the New York law is that those risks have to be fully comprehended or perfectly obvious. I don't think there's an issue here. Spectators actively see uh, those speeders shooting each other. It's, it's not like a mystery that these are sort of deadly bolts, not some like tuned down version of it. Um, they seem to be able to shoot everywhere on the track. Like it's not like they enter into a zone, maybe near the start line where they can't operate the weapons and so you know you're, you're walking into a situation like that Athorian, and, and you're, you're kind of making a gamble and in real racing like to nascar uh, nascar in particular since the 90s since the early 90s there have been about uh, 29 people at races killed uh, by cars or by flying parts and you've had about 70 people injured, which in the grand scheme of all the races that happen probably isn't a lot, but yeah, that's a, a, not an insignificant number of folks. And uh, y- you'll even see that sort of disclaimer and warning language, albeit very generically on the back of the tickets. Uh, and that's, you go to any sporting game, you flip over the ticket or you look on your digital ticket, and there's probably some sort of disclaimer there that adds sort of an extra layer of uh, insulation for the... For the team and uh, the arena as well.
0: Yeah, it's like you know air show accidents. Like when those happen, they can be horrific if a plane crashes into the audience. Like you're at ground zero of it. And same yeah. with you know uh, auto races. Yeah. You know, we're you know going around a tight track. Like it can be pretty horrific. Yeah so yeah it's area of research but again we don't our sport events don't include people getting shot so like that that's the thing that stood out because the pilot can control when he fires the weapon so it's one thing to crash it's another thing to be going sideways firing the weapon into the crowd and i think i think that's that could be a factor in any lawsuit to say I assumed the risk of going to this race that someone could crash. I did not assume the risk that someone would fire into the crowd, and mm. I think that would be you know the the battle that would happen in motion practice
1: yeah, and uh, you know don't, don't underestimate the creativity of plaintiffs lawyers to find a variety of different defendants it's, so when you look at trying to place responsibility here it could be from multiple it doesn't just have to be the racing team or the arena the venue um, a lot of times real life those those cars have tons of parts on that uh, there was a case out of florida from a number of years ago where uh, the hood of a nascar car flew off of the car during the race and really seriously injured a spectator in the stance he was in a coma for a few months. And uh, he wasn't able to recover from the venue or for the, from the NASCAR team, but he did successfully get a settlement from the maker of the, the latch pins that hold the hood off, uh, just arguing that they were defective. And so here, you know, you, if, if you're in a case like that, you'd be looking to the blaster manufacturer or the land speeder manufacturer. I mean, lots of rocks are going to be flipped over there to see if you can attach liability somewhere
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> the law will find a way to <laughs> to vindicate the rights of the person who was shot at a race. So uh, the other interesting thing about the race itself is part of the track was not completed, and you you know, that's where tech decides to go and and has one person follow. That's interesting. Why not have that closed? Because they're they're inviting people to race in it uh, by having it accessible. So I'm not sure. Uh, that's something I would look at. I, I don't know if there's a. I mean, like it pays off for them, but you know the other guy does crash. So is there sure. is there a liability there uh, for for the racetrack for having something that's Incomplete and accessible. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, this is a you know pretty straightforward episode.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was a fun. We just had like a really intense one with with Crosshair and Cody, uh, an execution at the end. Actually, two episodes in a row with executions at the end. So, I I think this was intentionally placed, like a little more lighthearted. It. It just felt like, um, like the nice, warm, familiar jacket of the middle part of the Phantom Menace, and yeah, I, the the thing that was interesting to me is that in spite of everything that uh, the Bad Batch continues to do, Sid still isn't in a great financial position, and I wonder if that comes to a head at some point. That whatever, either they're not bringing in a whole lot of money on these jobs, or she's doing things, just the way she's operating is really causing them to be on a treadmill of sorts.
0: That's a good observation. I, there's uh, could be an economic downturn. There could be a variety of things at play with that. Uh, the other thing that's high risk is Tech won. He didn't race under an assumed name. Like, yeah. Did... the empire monitoring like are they doing like metadata monitoring for tech tech is that his name (laughs) Like, there's video of him like is that a good idea yeah for someone trying to lay low uh like maybe this is where an assumed name is a good idea buddy uh paint up that armor look different (laughs) like there's a it
1: it still isn't entirely like i know they had cad bane on Tail, but the degree of threat that the empire considers them isn't really clear yet it's clear that the empire is cooking other bigger fish at this at this moment so they're they're sort of an annoyance at best but i feel like that's going to change at some point in the season and it's what it's probably going to be vice admiral rampart who takes the lead on this stuff Um, but something that they do is gonna have to catch the full attention of the Empire.
0: Yeah, that the Empire is busy. We're in what year one, maybe mm. year two of the Empire at best. So we're you know, 14 to 13 years away from uh the events of Andor and Rebels. So there's a lot, I mean like it's very early. So they're still establishing their foothold and control over systems that are not down with this Mm -hmm. Uh, so where will it go uh i mean i get the idea will they be part of the nascent rebellion uh as that starts forming up um because people just don't (laughs) those who are used to freedom just don't roll over (laughs) so it's they they lose it gradually piece by piece so uh so a giant, if they, if somebody does a big move, that's the thing to watch for. But um, so yeah, we'll see what happens, but it's, it's entertaining and I'm grateful to have it each week. <laughs> All right. Anything else for the good of the order from this episode?
1: No, I, uh, this was a nice, I call it a palate cleanser episode. Just one where the emotional stakes are in check and I've, looking forward to seeing i i I expect an immediate return to to the darker stuff uh you had one execution now you're going to get two executions at the beginning so the the fun times can't continue
0: it was a sorbet to cleanse the palate like it was it's what we needed uh (laughs) in order to get ready for something else
1: as long as they don't mess with az omega obviously i want to, to be perfectly safe but don't mess with AZ again. You about ripped my heart out at the end of season one.
0: Yeah, that that's one poor little torture droid that just keeps going through things. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, everyone, thanks for tuning in. Uh, again, this was faster. And uh, we'll see if the next one's more intense. So, uh, better. Uh, with that, everyone stay safe, stay healthy. And above all else, stay geeky.